Welcome to Call Out Culture with your hosts Alaska, Curly Castro, and Zilla Rocca. On today's episode, we are joined by Roy Christopher, the author of Dead Precedents, How Hip-Hop Defines the Future. Hey, America. Welcome back to your favorite podcast of dudes talking about stuff, which is our, my favorite genre of podcast. It's called Call Out Culture. I, I need to edit our intro because you're ostracizing our international fans. Hello, world. We here. So my name is Alaska. I'm here with my colleagues, coworkers, cohorts, um, Curly Castro and Zilla Rocca. Mm, hello. Good evening. Yep. Today we have our first ever guest. Bong, bong, bong. My friend, your friend, Roy Christopher. Roy Christopher is a writer, and he has just uh, released a book called Dead Precedents. And uh, it is about how hip-hop created the future and hacking and all sorts of shit. But since Roy's here, I'll let Roy give a brief elevator pitch of what his book is about. Say hi to America, Roy. Hello, America and the rest of the world. Um, this book is basically me. I was, I've been arguing that uh, the cultural practices of hip-hop are the cultural practices of the 21st century. And so in order to make that argument, I dug into a bunch of weird stuff about computer hacking and cyberpunk and cyberculture and Blade Runner and all kinds of wild stuff. But that's the, that was the basic argument that I started with. So what made you kind of come up with this idea? What was your sort of, I guess, eureka moment? Um, it started off with just like, I kept saying about things, things that people would say and things that I would see in movies or in different uh, creative practices. I would, I would say, thank you, hip hop. Thank you, hip hop. I kept, I kept finding myself saying that over and over. And so I started keeping kind of like a tally of all of these things that I, to me, had come from hip hop. Um, like Grandmaster Cass says, hip hop didn't invent anything, but it reinvented everything. And so there are lots of things that are done within hip hop culture that were, that have a, a lineage that goes far further in the past. But all all of these things were coming from hip hop. All these things were popularized or were coming from hip hop. So I just started keeping up with a lot of those things, and then I saw all of these kind of parallels between um, elements of science fiction that was coming out around the same time that hip hop was coming up. And so I just started making all these connections and the book is just me kind of connecting all these things and trying to argue that we are living in kind of a hip hop future now. So by a hip hop future, like what exactly does that mean to somebody who's not familiar with hip hop? Like cutting and pasting. And there are lots of like, if you're watching a movie and there are references to other movies or references to other things outside the movie that happens within hip hop all the time. Um, lots of just creative practices, lots of things that we do. Um, in digital culture, lots of things online um, all come from things that happened in hip hop or things that were like kind of have a beginning there, right? Um, sampling for one, that's the big one that's easy to point to is, you know, that's hip hop music is made from pieces of other pieces of pieces of other musics and other recordings. And so now there's all kinds of stuff. Like if you look at, look at uh, Stranger Things, you can you can watch the first season of Stranger Things and you can point to all the Spielberg and Stephen King and all the stuff that they're sampling and mixing together, right, to make that. So, and that's just one example. I mean, that's everywhere. So, dude, Quentin, Quentin Tarantino's entire career is that. 
sampling. Exactly. Exactly. He even calls it that. So, so I, I remember watching the outtakes of Style Wars, or not the out, the basically the bonus DVD, and they were talking about how the MTA ripped off graffiti when with their advertising campaigns. Right. Where when you look at like the New York City subway now, they even have like whole wrapped cars. The whole inside is done as like one big advertisement, or they'll have like the same advertisement over and over and over and over and over again written with like like almost like a tag like the way cap would just hit everything right they have you know jordash jeans or whatever the fuck it is so i mean do you find other sort of like i guess advertising methods or things like that even like politics where they're like stealing from hip-hop in general and is that a ter- is that a terrible question if it is tell me to shut the fuck up i'm fine with that no too. there's also like a parallel between what advertising is supposed to do and what graffiti does and that is that like Graffiti is made for a certain group of people and not other people. Like, if you're not versed in graffiti and you look at some graffiti, it's like, oh, that you might think it's pretty or you might think it's annoying, but you can't read it and tell what the message is in a lot of cases. Um, advertising is supposed to be the same way. It's like this. McLuhan talked about he he related the advertising to cave paintings and how they weren't supposed to be seen. They were supposed to affect. Uh, they're like magic. They're supposed to be like these sigils that have made an effect. And that's kind of how graffiti works. But it's also how advertising works, right? Um, it's not. You don't see an ad on the side of the. You don't see Jordash on the side of the train and then go buy some Jordash jeans, right? You see it a million times over many, many years, and then you're in the market for whatever product it was, and you're like, oh yeah, I remember that one, right? So it's like this cumulative effect that might not be magic, but it's not. It's not a direct effect. You don't see it and then go do that. Um, so that's um, go ahead. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with the premise. You know, hip hop is being co-opted for decades now, and um, the funny thing is, like you're saying, it it's same thing with advertising is repetition because they want you to think that this was their idea all along. Right. When it's hard to say that you know something we were vilifying for so many years, we're finding that it has very su- successful. Um, messagery and successful cadences that's going to reach people. So shoot, now we got to do it. All right, let's just make a Ronald McDonald rap or some shit like that. We'll make it really corny. But yeah, it's everywhere. It's in every advertisement, damn near every commercial. Um, it's in every theme song of every sitcom these days, baselines and such. Dude, so, if know. I got to watch the NBA Finals and see that freaking Sprite Lyman ad one more time, where it's like people making trap beats real quick and like drinking some Sprite, I've seen that commercial now 87 times during all the uh, Sixers games. Co-opting hip-hop is Black Eyed Peas' whole portfolio the last five years. You know what I'm saying? So it's interesting because they still won't give you – it still won't get its credit as, as much as it's being overused and um, taken advantage of. So I, I, pre- you know, I appreciate your book, you know, collating these things and, and, um, and bringing a light to the obvious. You are appreciated by call out culture. You won't be called <laughs> out for you. the wrong. <laughs> so in in the book and in our conversations as well, we've always talked about like the idea of illusion, yeah. not illusion, illusion. Um, so I guess if you could just like sort of expound upon that a little more for like listeners who might not be familiar with how that's relevant in hip hop and I guess even in like mainstream culture now beyond. I just think it's an interesting idea and an interesting concept. Yeah, I saw, I noticed that and didn't know, didn't know that I was looking at illusion and I figured this out in school. 
because you know school is good teaches you stuff um when like when i heard eminem's uh the way i am he says you know i am whatever you say i am if i wasn't then why would i say i am and i as soon as the first time i heard that chorus i was like oh that's eric being rakim that's rakim you know i'm the r to the a to the k i am if i wasn't then why would i say i am and i started thinking about it that there were 13 years between those two songs and so there's a whole generation of people who are hearing Eminem who don't know Eric B and Rakim. And I'm like, that's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not like I know that and you don't, but it's, it's, it means something different when you know that, when you know that he's alluding to the previous song. Um, right. The Eminem song means what it means. But if you know that he's um, alluding to the Rakim chorus um, or the Rakim lyric, then you know, it means something else now. Cause it means he's, he's calling that, He's calling back to that. He's saying, I know about this. And he's also giving a shout to all the people who, do, who also know it. And so that happens throughout hip hop lyrics. Um, and so I, my, my dissertation actually was digging through as many of those as I could find and just making this, this, these, all these different connections between different songs. And uh, it's like lyrical sampling, right? It's, it's, a, it's a, mm-hmm. an aspect of, of the lyricism that's not talked about as much. Um, we talk about samples and there's a lot of studies about samples and how they resurrect the old artists and all those things. And there's a lot of talk about wordplay and metaphor and all those things in lyrics, but there's not a lot of, there hasn't been a lot of study about allusion specifically. It's, it's studied a lot in literature and religion, but not so much. I'm a communication studies person. So, um, it's not studied so much in communication, but I saw that. And that's, again, it goes back to what I, what I was saying about sampling in movies or alluding to things in movies it's like one of the important things is the meaning is different or it adds that layer of meaning but there's also like there's a a problem that's again more prevalent in digital culture and that is trying to find out who did something first like trying to find out who the original author is or who created something um that that happens you know with sampling and allusion where it just gets piled up so high that you know, you can't tell where it came from. You see, you'll see this regularly now on Twitter where someone will post a meme or something and it will say, who did this? They're like right. trying to find out where it came from. Um, so it's just a, it's just an aspect of the culture that, uh, that, you know, needs to be analyzed so that we can, so we're not losing the context of and meaning of all of these different things that are being made. Um, well, to bring this thing into the present and push it to the future, a recent, um, not too recent, but Zilla decoded and and you notice if you become a real deep Wu Tang fan, how much illusion is in Wu Tang's early work, and how a lot of their successful hooks were repurposed R and B songs, and mm-hmm. um the same cadence, but they just switched out words. And it and you know and it's the same thing as like when Puffy would go heavy with the sampling. You you're gonna like the song immediately because you already like the song. Right. And um Wu Tang would do that. You're gonna like what we're saying because you like the cadences. So it was an interesting approach. Um, and I remember when Z had the like aha moment and we watched a couple of their interviews. Oh yeah. It was when no, just, said it like 10 years ago, like out of nowhere in some interview where he was like, he was like, yeah, like the labels, when you go to label A&Rs, you said that, but the beauty of Wu-Tang was they were so insulated from early on because they had so much juice with, you know, their, their sales and their buzz where he was like a label A&R would be like, nah, you gotta like bring in the R&B singer and like flip this old song. And he was like, "No, that's corny. He, we we already did it." And so he was talking about like on a on gold, off Liquid Swords, uh, Alaska's probably favorite album of all time. 
Um, it's really yeah. it's my favorite. I take it. <laughs> I take it when I have like nighttime sniffling, snuffy, achy head, so I can't rest medicine. There you go. Then you, you take the liquid swords and knocks you right out. It's like a box of wine. It's like a I box of get wine. The, I get the gel cap swords now, but liquid there is liquid liquid gel cap swords. So the on 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 gold when he says uh there is no cut that's pure enough. There is no cut that's pure enough. Like that was them flipping. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. So that was them yeah. doing it. And, and then like on uh, what's it called too? On a uh, Daytona 500, it's turned the beat around. Wait a second, Z. I'm feeling, I'm feeling. You feel that? You feel that? Uh, Y'all yeah, hear yeah. that? Y'all hear it? Shameless plug. Considering Wu Tang. Oh, us here have Wu Tang Pope CDs fresh out the factory. Nice. Forty yards now before it goes out. We also have the Wu Tang doc coming out on Friday, so you, you're gonna need your Wu Tang Pope CD as accompaniment. So get yours now because they actually are running out. Real talk. Back to the program. But that that's also again that's something that's been done. I mean, Karis One was doing that on Criminal Minded with Beatles songs and Barry Manilow. He did a song. Billy I mean, Joel song too. Yeah, Billy Joel. Yeah. yeah. But then Ghostface did that as well later on. He basically took the um the same shit that KRS did where he went to like everybody's talk about Wu Tang front, but he's still kind of talking with me. Yeah. Oh, what's the name? Did shit? Method, Method Man, Method Man. Hey, you get off my cloud. It's fucking yeah, Rolling Stones. And then and then he does it on a, yeah, on that so, break. It's a Beatles. Barry told me this. I never caught it. It's a Beatles thing where he does. I got five bags of skunk. I got. That's yeah. a, what, what Beatles going is that? What is that? Shit. I know that. Yeah, that that's a Beatles joint. I can't remember what it is. The the, the entire song Method Man is one illusion. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. The entire song. It's every and, like seventies cartoon. It's every. And, yeah. He pretty much Jack Doss effects and yes. stuff for that without the diggities. Yes, without the diggities. No, 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 no. I disagree. I, I I understand the similarities with the diggity to get, but that. But he was taking specific nursery rhymes and rewording. But that was a so Doss just effect. From one. No, Doss effects with the alliteration with the stutter. No, but they would Doss also rap about friggin' uh, Doctor Seuss, Mother Goose, and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Yeah, but that was only the first single. I, they had other like content. That was just the first couple of singles they would do all of their, you know, I take it as flat, flat, you know, they, that, that was the first couple. Of, I, I had to, I had to hold it. So I, in the, in the book, I relate that practice to hacking because like you said before, um, Curly, you said that, uh, people are going to like this song because they already recognize the hook or people are going to like this song because they already like the way the cadence is. Right. That's a, yes. that's, that's them hacking into your memories of things that you already know or using that. Um, and this happens in all kinds of other pop culture too, with remakes and reboots and inception hop, making you right. think it was your idea. Right, right. So that's a way to like it's kind of like a cheat code to your memories because it makes it like, oh yeah, you recognize a part of the song and it's like you know it. It seems familiar. We do this with like um, naming things. I, I, in the book, I mentioned two two kind of other non hip hop artifacts where this happens. In the early '90s, there was. Lois and Clark, the Superman show, which which sounds like Lewis and Clark, so it already sounds familiar. And then Warrant did Uncle Tom's Cabin, and it's like Uncle Tom's Cabin had nothing to do with Harriet Beecher Stowe, but you you hear that name and you're like, oh yeah, I know what this is already, even though it has nothing to do with the other thing, right? So um, there's a 
marketing kind of hacking aspect to using those allusions. It's also partly our fault because, you know, we were just talking before we started recording, we were talking about shows and how, oh, yeah, it really gets good around the fourth. How much time do you think I have to wait till the seventh episode of this? Right. You're like, when you start watching a new show, you're like, am I going to like this? Am I going to like these people? Am I going to like this characters? Am I going to like the story? Right. But if you watch something that you're already familiar with, it eases that cognitive load. Right. It's less work to get into if you're like, oh, this is just Superman again. Right. Mm -hmm. So part of it's. That's that they're hacking into that laziness <laughs> on our parts as well as the audience. Dude, every everybody's Twitter handle is a, is a reference to a pop culture thing. Every Twitter handle is like something that just happened that everyone knows about, and they flip it into a, a different. Napoleon Dolomite is one of my favorite ones. Napoleon Dolomite. <laughs> That's the one that I'm like, oh, I wish I had thought of that one. Because like I, I noticed it today when it was like you know suggest people. You know, like it'll suggest you follow these people. And I was like, all their names are pop yeah. culture references just flipped. You know what I mean? Like all, every person they suggested to me, I was like, oh, here we go. People want a shortcut to being seem to seeming clever. Yes. So right. if I can make a, you know, and, and make myself chuckle and you'll assume that I'm clever and move on. You know? Yeah. That's why I named my book Dead Precedence. There you go. After the movie. Um, I was thinking of just the expression. True. You know, True. I think Rakim was the first one to say it on record, but the expression it has been around since like the thirties. Alaska, you did the you did the research on this when we talked about this before. What did it do? It's like nineteen thirty-five. I don't remember the exact date. That was a while ago, but it it, it goes before hip hop, but Rakim was definitely the first to use it on record. So anyway, it was a it wasn't a direct reference to any single thing. It was just the expression. Yeah, but then it got popularized with the Jay Z song. And the funny thing, y'all, is the Jay Z song made me think that there was another word in between dead and presidents that Nas said that they scratched out, even though I knew that there wasn't. I knew the song they sampled, but you yeah. know, they just did a good job rhythm wise. And then it sounded like he should have said, it was, it was very, I always remember thinking that like, where's that version? And then I know the song that he doesn't say it. So like, yeah, and it gets popularized. And then, cause it's like, it's clever. It's, you know, and then people go, aha, you know. No, but wait, wait, the, the Nas song, that, that that's the, the sample is from the World Is Yours remix. The world is yours, yeah. The remix where he says, "I'm out for dead fucking presidents to represent me." So then they they blur. No, it. yeah. No, yeah. he says, "I'm out for dead." To no, he says, "I'm out no, for dead fucking no presidents to represent." On on the world is yours remix, he says that. I'm out for dead. On the remix, you yeah. say that's what he sampled it from. And that's why Jay is presidents to represent me. Yeah, I gotta lose. I gotta go find. It. Okay, I'm. I'm yeah, it, it's a Q-tip remix remix of the world is yours. That, that's what he sampled it from. Okay, yeah. tight. Yeah. But in the original song, he just says dead right, president. Right, He doesn't. Yeah. Who's like putting their silverware away? That's me. Sorry. I just was muting earlier. I no, slipped. I thought it was you. You were, you were banging the, the, the ice cubes on call again. Usually Alaska opens his speakeasy. Someone ordered a boxcar Monday, whatever the hell 30s drinks are. You guys aren't always, aren't also doing dishes? I've been, I've been <laughs> on it, man. I thought, I thought we were all doing dishes. That, that, that's, that's Alaska's, um music director everybody do your dishes and drop them on the floor and step on them and crash them this is a podcast about the art of foley <laughs> now, alaska's making drinks for freaking dutch schultz and, and fucking old, old haas radbird and i'm over here putting fucking dishes away. <laughs> with a real life tumbling that shit is huge it's mad ice cubes in there it makes mad noise Oh shit! I mean, I, I could show you a picture of it i got the full legit deal i can hear it and i've been hearing it every week that's dope 
It's it's actually verified, y'all. Do you have like do you have like a uh what's that shit called the um what was what was that drink what? um you got drinking with the sugar and the spoon? What is that shit called? Absinthe. Yeah, you, you got like absinthe. the absinthe kit, like the green bottle. I do no, actually. I don't, I, you, I, you I'm not it. using it now, but I do have it. So wait, did, oh, you know, you, we can straight buy absinthe now before you used to have to order it. Nah, it was it was right. all myth. It was never real. The whole. No, that was true. You had to order. From- you had to order that shit. Really? That was shit was illegal in the U.S. Up until when? Yeah, dude. I thought that was always a myth. Up until like the the mid uh, the mid two thousands. Mid two thousands. Yeah, we had it at one of my house parties. When I used to, it was wild overrated. Did you get the good shit from like Europe? I don't know. We we had like a green bottle with like the spoon and the sugar, and then I blacked out. There there was a fake version that they had here in the U.S. Oh, uh, maybe it was that, that one. medicinal shit. Wait a second, hold on, y'all. Did y'all hear Zilla say? It was overrated, but I took some and I blacked out. Did y'all hear him say that? Yeah, but for many other drinks that day, it wasn't because of absinthe. But that's because you weren't drinking real absinthe then if you, like, blacked out. No, out. I, I blacked out, and then I woke up. I threw up a hot dog all over my, my room, apparently, and then I passed back out. And then my ex-girlfriend and my cousin's best friend had to carry me into the shower with, like, hot dog bits all over me and wash me. Nah, see, we used to order – like $120 bottles from the UK when we were in Hangar 18. Jesus. So yeah. whenever we did a big show in New York City, we would get a bottle of it. And me, Paul, and Ian would drink it. And it's a real different drunk. Like, you don't get, like, blackout drunk. You actually... Like scissor shit? No, it's it's almost like a little bit, like, mushroomy. It's cleaner. That the, so, so basically the deal with it is the, the reason absinthe was even uh, made illegal in the U.S. is because they basically called alcoholism absinthism back in the day and you know like the sort of like puritan um teetotalers were like we got to stop having this so they stop having absinthe but it's the way that it's distilled and if it's distilled properly it's distilled through something called wormwood which has this sort of mellowing property so that's an ill show on netflix too do you see that show wormwood it is ah, wormwood anyway. yeah i did actually it's pretty dope um but it it pulls you to two extremes. So it brings you to like this sort of like hyper energized state, but also this like super mellow state. And it kind of makes everything around you brighter. In a way, like brighter and a warmer. There's like almost a glow to everything. We gotta do this, bro. The shit is dope. Do it. It's disgusting, but it's dope. Yeah, I've tried real ass absinthe when I was in like, um, I think when I went to Seattle one time. Yeah, I had real, real absinthe. And then the one y'all had was decent. It was cool. It was cool, you know. But also, we were splitting it with like eight, ten people. Like, you should get at least two, two glasses and, and go to town. So, I can put it this way: when we were doing shows, Cage was like, "You guys are drinking absence? That's crazy." And then, and then he went in the corner and ate like like a mouthful of fucking mescaline, like it was a fucking chiclets or something. <laughs> absinthe remix. So let's 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 take it. Oh, so I want to ask Roy a question because I was reading the book. Um, and by read, I mean I skimmed very very well through most of it. So when you were talking about Grandmaster Flash, right, and the turntable, and I, it always occurred to me like how it was amazing in American and an actual like global history that like a handful of dudes living in the hood in the seventies, New York, which was a toilet, were like, oh, I want to just do all this dope shit, and they like 
applied like complicated like engineering and science to like household equipment and they were like yeah uh i just wanted to do this because like the party would be doper and people would give me props and then like you say in a book where like i think it was fab five friday or something like when grandmaster flash first was doing like the non-stop beat blends just having like the records go mm-hmm. non-stop without like someone picking up a needle and placing it haphazard people were like they didn't even know what to do it was like like martin mcfly doing the guitar solo in uh in freaking back to future people were like what what are you why are you playing so crazy uh doing like that van halen shit so when did that occur to you like before you were writing it or were you being like you always realized like yo like a handful of humans in with like seemingly no higher education or access to like advanced engineering skills like created all of these things like you said like that we just take for granted today like everybody has a turntable and people like djing it doesn't mean anything anymore but back then it was like he invented djing right I guess I thought of it more like you you saying it like it's a handful of people. I guess I didn't think about it that way and like it being such an isolated kind of thing. I think about it more in the in the aspect of like how subcultures get created anyway. Like if you look at something like skateboarding or BMX or like I ride Flatland BMX. And so there were lots of crazy garage engineer people who, you know, BMX kids who came up with all of this the pegs and the the things that keep your brake cables from getting tangled up and all of this stuff. So like all of that's kind of similar in that it's like usually just a few people, but you get deep off into something and you're like, you're not even thinking about that, right? You're thinking about the next problem you're trying to solve. And that's what they were doing. I mean, when Grandmaster Flash was like, they're, you know, this train wrecky kind of moving the, the record needle around has to stop. I have to figure out a way to fix that. And so he did. And then, you know, like you said, people didn't know what to do with it. He was trying to rock the party still and trying to do it in a nonstop way. And people were like, what is he doing? They wanted to see what he was doing and he was trying to get them to dance. So, um, yeah, like lots of, you can go back to, um, this is another connection between kind of like computer hacking and like just hacking in general, like the, the, the old school, you know, idea of tinkering with something until you make it work or make it do something else. That kind of definition of hacking is that's the connection I made was like, he was just hacking this technology. And so, yeah, I didn't think of it as such an isolated thing like you did, which you're absolutely right. It's like five people who are working on these problems and they invented an entire culture. But um, it, there, are, there are lots of other examples of that happening in different other cultures or other subcultures. Again, it's just nerd stuff. Very nerdy, but very fucking like earth shattering when you just think like people that yeah. were just totally left behind, left behind by society and like trying to be removed. They just then were like, they looked at a turntable and were like, oh, how can I, like, I remember reading stuff that he did on his own. So about like when he would take the belt off and he had like stuff from his father that he knew he could take. And then like he had the vision in his head of what he wanted to do. And he was just like, oh, I'm just going to do it. You know what I mean? We're like, think about like all the people that built turntables for years, like manufacturers. Yeah. And like, they never even did any of that stuff. You know what I mean? Like all the things he was doing, like you said, like setting up all the different, um, the different faders to be previewing the records and shit. That shit was crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he talks about it. Like he was always doing that kind of stuff growing up. Like if there was something he could take apart, he was taking apart and messing with it. So he was just kind of like a nerdy guy anyway. (laughs) But isn't that kind of like akin to what, um, like Bill Gates and all those guys were doing in their garage and, 
was it Seattle or wherever the fuck they were from? You know, there was something that they wanted to see that wasn't invented yet, so they invented it. Right. Yeah, I wouldn't give Bill Gates that credit, but yes, people like that. But I mean, that was just a name that popped into my head, but... Right. <laughs> who would you give that credit to then? In the realm you're talking about, I would say like Richard Stallman, who did a bunch of the open source stuff at MIT. Um, I would say uh, Wozniak, who, you know, he's the he's the guy who actually built all the stuff in, in early Apple. Um, Steve Jobs might have come up with the ideas, but Steve Wozniak is the guy who actually built all this. So those are, that's, that's two other names that, you know, people who actually made stuff. Um, similar to the way that Grandmaster Flash did with the fader and all the techniques that he was coming up with. Um, so part of your book, Roy, is how hip hop sort of helps create the future. So you look at like where hip hop was in the past and it helped sort of predict the future. Is that a correct assessment? Yeah. And I mean, in the, in the realm of the book and the way that it's, the way that that future is on the cover of the book, I'm talking about looking to now from hip hop in the eighties, right? So seventies, sure. eighties, like how it invented the future. And by future, I mean where we are now. So, so based on that sort of idea, where we are now, based on where we are now, like where do we see the future going based? I mean, do you think hip hop still has that power or is there something else right now that is creating the future that we're going to see? in the next 20, 30 years? I've been struggling with this question, not only when I was writing this book, but also just thinking about like, here's a, just for an example, when, you know, computers came and they entered the workplace and then in the, you know, in the eighties and then in the nineties and then eventually at the end of the nineties, like everybody had them in their houses and then everybody has laptops and then everybody has them in their pocket because cell phones got smaller and now we all have them in our pockets, right? That was not a, a hard transition to, picture right as soon as there was a computer on the desk and there was a cell phone and then ipods and you could see the evolution you're like well as soon as someone has a cell phone you're like oh well everyone's gonna have one of those right and then now they have a camera everyone's gonna have a camera you can see that coming i can't see like that wasn't a hard trans i can't tell what's next <laughs> right i can't from here from seeing like smartphones which you know we could spend a whole hour talking about just their impact um, I can't see the next thing. Like, I don't know what it is. So musically and, and culturally, as far as like the internet and hip hop and whatever, whichever trajectory you want to take, I can't, I'm having a hard time seeing like the next thing. And you, when you read about this kind of stuff, you'll hear people talking about, you know, uh, last century people talking about the 21st century and predicting things for the 21st century and all this, you never hear anybody talk about next century now, <laughs> right? You're right. In, you know, like a um, hundred years ago, people were talking about the next century. Like it was a regular thing in, in 1919 to be talking about what's going to happen in the 21st century. In 2019, no one's talking about that. Right? Do you think that has to do with the this sort of acceleration of technology and how fast it's all sort of happening now? That it's kind of hard to see that far ahead? Yeah, I think that's one of the factors. Um, I think there's like, there are some things about our attitude, like the optimism that people probably had 100 years ago is not quite as strong now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so some of it is socioculturally and some of it is technological, sure, but it's just that's that's the thing about like 
being able to look back and say, hip hop invented the future. And that's, you know, it's why the culture we live in now is was created by these things that happened in the 80s. Like, that's way easier to say than what's happen- what's going to happen next. I, I would like to hear what, if anybody else has any ideas, because, like, again, I can't see the next thing. And when I try to predict, like, musical trends or any kind of, like, when I see something, I'm like, oh, that's never going to go anywhere. And then the next thing I know, everybody has one or, you know, Post Malone is huge or I don't know. Like Every time I see something and I think it's going to fail. I think like what uh, the only thing I think of like technology wise is like Ready Player One where like everyone is like literally just in a game all the time. Like pe- yeah. people only have an experience outside of like their own like physical reality. And like so with VR, like Oculus goggles, like. It's still kind of early, but like not everybody has those yet. But the people I know that have them like rave about them. Like you could watch a basketball game, and you're like on the floor with dudes, like in the middle of the Warriors, Rockets game. So you right. have that, or you have like that movie. Um, what was that movie with Spike Jones and Joaquin Phoenix? Like I always see the name wrong. It's like either her or she. Her. Her. Where that world, where like no one, no one holds a phone. It's a thing you put in your ear. Like you ain't looking at anything anymore. Yeah. So like everyone, they're they're like their iOS is like their friend, that's like reading their emails to them. You know what I mean? Like you don't, you're not like looking at a screen anymore. You're just like conversing right. with a person in your ear who's in a computer. And then like when you said Post Malone, like I remember like when all of the quote unquote like mumble rap started. Um, and I remember then like little there's like little. Yachty or Little Dolph? I think it was Little Yachty or whoever. He said like, "Oh, I'm not, I'm not a rapper. I, I don't want to be a rapper. I, w- I want to be like a business. Like I want to be a pop star." And he was like talking about, "Yeah, I'm not trying to compete with Kendrick Lamar as a rapper." And I was like, "I've never heard a rapper be like, I am not interested in any skill competition ever. Like I am not. I'm interested in that Target has me on its commercials. Like that is my aim." And I was like, that's a pretty amazing shift. And that's like the most like punk, like rebellious thing ever, where it's like, I participate in rap, but I'm not interested in being viewed as a rapper at all. I'm not, I don't want that. Really? RZA and Kanye, I remember both saying that they wanted to be something else. Uh, They both succeeded. They both succeeded at being whack as fucking hell in the last like three years. Also, that that like immersive surrounded by media kind of idea i have this picture that i'm going to use in my next book that's from 1911 that this guy harry grant hart drew um it's called we'll all be happy then and it's you can probably google that but uh it's a picture of a guy sitting in a chair and he's got like ticker tapes and like all those those crazy old victrola speakers and he has like this robot assistant and it's like everything is being fed to him, but it's like based on like the pneumatic kind of tube uh, technology of 1911. So like that idea that people are not going to interact with each other except through some sort of technological mediation um, has been around for at least 100 years. Um, it's, I mean, you're right. It's getting closer and closer to being like a thing that will actually, you know, like we're the, the rat in the thing hitting the button for the orgasm and then we never leave and then we die it's getting closer to that point but that idea has been around for over 100 years at least i I, the one thing that i remember like pat oswalt said a few years ago was like 
there's going to be a generation of kids that won't have any phones. And his, his rationale was that you never want to be like your parents. So if everyone's parents are always looking at cell phones and always looking at Instagram and always texting and always doing emails and always doing ever, like, why would you want to do that too? Right. So he's like, there's going to be a generation well, so. that's like, yo, no phones. We're, we're going to like, how easy be, yo, meet me at that spot at nine o'clock and you just hope people show up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's no I, way to well, find it. I would it. love that. But there's no historical data for that. Everything we have stays. Mm. The car is still here. The TV is still here. The radio is still here. Like, mm. sure, we have new things, but we don't ever get rid of something and go back to the last thing. That never. That has never happened. Gotcha. That makes sense. I would love for that to be the case because I hate the phone and I hate having it. And it took me forever to even get a smartphone. And I despise the thing. Mm. But I just... Yeah, it's hard to picture the kid thing rebelling against the parents. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. But te like historically, humans have not ever gone back to the previous phase. Sure. So, I mean, do you think possibly the future is in like machine learning and AI more than anything? Like that's where it is. Like it's not going to come from necessarily like a pop culture thing because hip hop at this point, hip hop is like rock and roll was when hip hop was invented. Right, so right. it's sort of similar in age, and there doesn't seem to be a musical movement that's like kind of wholly original on the horizon right now. There's like nothing. It doesn't seem like there's anything coming, other than you know, reverb, revamped versions of the stuff that we already have. Sounding you know, old. So do you think? It, I know, but you know, I am old. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I think like I. You know, I kind of am wondering if the, the more creative minds are going in that direction versus coming into the arts or whatever it is. Yeah, like, I don't know. There's been AI keeps. I don't know, I guess it's like the whole like just like the virtual reality thing that we were talking about, just something like the immersive kind of thing like that's those both of those ideas have been around for a really long time. I even I went to my first attempt at grad school was in an artificial intelligence program, but that was 20 years ago. And so it's like, it's something that's been like 20 years ago, seems like a ridiculously long time ago, ago to be thinking about artificial intelligence, but um, it's AI has been around since World War II. Um, or the, you know, the, the idea is not necessarily like a walking, talking thing, but the ideas behind it have been around, at least since World War II, probably before that. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say because the... Man, there's so many different threads to parse when you talk about this one thing because there are so many things that are possible and always possible, but they won't happen because of the system, like the economic system we're in. Capitalism keeps so many things from happening. Would be great for everyone. So even things like AI are not going to be great because they're going to be controlled by a a motivation that is not going to benefit people. <laughs> so it's hard to think about these things in a positive way when you see the way like. Here's an example. I'll give you a quick example. Um, you could, we have the technology right now to, if you have ailments, different things that are wrong with you, you could have a pill designed and made just for you that would fix the things that are wrong with you that you need. And you could get it adjusted monthly or whatever. And you just go get your bottle of that pill that fixes just what's wrong with Alaska. And that's possible, but it will never happen. It will never happen because of all the companies and all of the patents and all the things involved in making that those would be a billion dollar pills right it would it just not happen so the 
the the technology and the abilities we have to do things and then the motivations to do those things aren't lining up and haven't been lining up for a very, very long time. So it's hard to see like how AI is going to be implemented in any way that's not completely nefarious. Well, it's also going to become the sort of thing that's going to have tons of regulation thrown on it. And then only companies like Facebook and Chase and, you know, bigger companies Google. are going to be able to use it. Google. Yeah. So it's not, there's not going to be like really an upstart that's going to be able to come and make AI for everyone. Right. Cause, but the thing that's happening right now, like, like the thing that's happening that I know is happening right now is like all of this, all of the data that's being collected about us and all of the, the behaviors and all of the, different things that are collected online and with facial recognition and different motions and everything. They're collecting all of that so they can create things to replace people in, in the most menial jobs. And yeah, nobody wants those most menial jobs, but a lot of people need those most menial jobs. And so it's, again, it's not being developed for anything that's going to benefit anyone other than the people who are developing it. Cause the, the old, like a lot of the old um, visions or dreams of, you know, AI and robotics and everything, we'll be like, oh, we'll all live a life of leisure because we'll have all our machines doing all the things for us. And it's like, no, that's not what they're making all this stuff for. Everybody, thank you again to Roy C. Please pick up his book, Dead Precedents. Roy, where could they find your book? Um, it's on, it's everywhere. It's on Amazon. It's wherever. My, my name, Roy Christopher, is RoyChristopher.com. I'm Roy Christopher on Twitter. Um, anywhere there's a Roy Christopher, it's probably me. Um, except for that there's a set designer um in the academy that is not me he's an older guy but all the other ones are me um so all the links are on there so it's findable and roy has other books as well and he has a real good website that has lots of interesting uh, articles and write-ups on it um all the time so check him out he's he's a good dude and he, he's smart he's a fun dude to talk to well thanks again you guys for having me on hell yeah bro Yo, I'm, I want to I want to plug my shit real quick, man. Castro will be hawk, hawking his shit like Percy P all day. I want to be plugging Percy P comparisons got to steal, man. You're you're the next one. You're the next one out there. You're like creature, <laughs> creature. Yeah, hey, you don't know who creature Cast, is. Castro, I don't even know why you put up with this shit. <laughs> he doesn't. He's been gone for forty eight minutes. It's an active attrition every week, Roy. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Yo, so we got the Wu Tang Pulp CD, single CD and double CD. I ordered that. Bomb. I ordered that. Shout out to Roy. Yo, man, you can cop that seven year anniversary. Am I on that one? Uh, yes, you made the deluxe edition. Look at you. Okay, yeah, cop that then. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> he was like, "Am I on that? Cop it." Or, he waited to see who was on it. Yo, that, yo let me it. tell you something, man. I've been cool with you for like five years. That was the most rapper moment I've ever had experience with you. <laughs> that was the most rapper ass shit I've ever seen in my life. You were like, uh, "Oh, that was great." That oh yeah, word. Grab it, grab it. Word, word. Like, yeah, yeah cop that. <laughs> so yeah, grab Wu Tang Pulp and WreckingCrew.BandCamp.com. Highly lauded project, fucking three or four bonus cuts from the CD only. My new album, 96 Mentality, is dropping May 21st. Uh, this shit is hot, man. I The album, fucking, Alaska's not on this one, so he's not supporting. But Castro's on it. I'll still support it. It's got good t-shirts. It does have, yeah. He, can't, he, he thinks CDs are a waste of time. Cassettes are ridiculous. But he's going to cop the shirt. We do have shirts. We have CDs. We have cassettes. $3pistol.com. And uh, Vic Spencer's on there, Prem Rock's on there, Castro's on there, 
Uh, Ray West, the homie from the Bronx, making beats. Small Pro Remix on the fucking CD only. No, Alaska, you're on a CD. You're on the bonus cut. Look at that. So you can you can support that one. There we go. You are on that one. Bonus <laughs> Cop cut. That. Cop that. Cop that. Cop that with the t-shirt. Bundle. With the shirt. Bundle it up. So yeah, man, that's our three dollar pistol ninety six mentality. The the album could have just been called Unapologetic East Coast Rap. That's like my sales pitch. So there you go. No R and B. No fucking nothing else. Just fucking grimy East Coast rap. There you go. That's all I gotta say. Um, I got, I got no plugs. Um, I mean, I do, but it's all old shit. So, old shit. uh, I got a record that I'm doing with Castro. I mean, we're not with Castro, with, uh, Zilla. Yeah. Good night. Let's do that. Second time. Same result. Y'all in. All right. Thank you again, Roy. Take care. <laughs> Thanks guys. Bye America. All right. Peace.